Well, I want you to take your Bible and find the book of Acts, if you would, chapter 2. And we'll look there in a moment, Acts chapter 2. I enjoyed recognizing people this morning and uh, just really enjoyed doing that. Of course, the church is about honoring Jesus. And uh, Hebrews 10 says that we're also to motivate one another. And uh, recognize Brother Theron and his ministry. Niftali and Morgan for that wonderful uh, event in their life as they graduate from high school. And, uh, of course, it's commencement to commence uh, their life in a, a large sense. They have a lot of living to go before them. We love these young ladies and appreciate those that have invested in them and those of you that have worked in McDonald's school. And not just this year, but some of you for several years. Thank you so much. We, we are, we're grateful for all you've done. God bless you. I want to uh, get back into the, the marrow of a message that I started a few weeks ago. And I just gave the introduction of it. Really didn't get into the application. I want to do that this morning. Um, I want to talk to you about phases of evangelism. Phases of evangelism. There's a lot of talk about greatness today. People want to have a, a great business. They want to have a great life. They want to have a great team. We want to be associated with greatness. There are entire, uh, not just books written on it, but sections in bookstores on personal development, on how to achieve greatness. People talk about having a great church. I believe with all of my heart, uh, it's a kind of a takeoff on what Bob Jones Sr. said. He said, happiness is stumbled upon in the pathway of duty. The idea that you don't find happiness, but happiness finds you. I believe that about greatness. I believe you don't find greatness, greatness finds you. If you pursue greatness, you'll never find it. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, a lot of people want the cake, greatness. But they don't want the recipe. They don't want the ingredients. If you put the ingredients in, you get the cake. Forget about the cake and focus on the ingredients. So let's forget about greatness. Let's forget about significance. And focus on what are the components that go into that. Well, the Bible gives us one of those. I just want to focus on just a sliver of that and give it an application this morning on one of the applications of, of a common thread of, of a great team, of a great organization, of a great life, and yes, of a great church. This is true of each of those. And you could say this about a number of things, but I just want to pick one and then I want to apply it to several things in the message this morning. And it is a twin. It is it's consistency and patience. Consistency with patience. It's amazing what you can get done if you just do the same thing over and over and over again patiently. Just be faithful. Consistently do the same thing over and over again. And you may not end up with the world's idea or definition of greatness, but you will please the Lord consistently patient, doing, not just waiting, 
Patience is not just waiting. Sometimes even when you're waiting on the Lord, you're doing what He has asked you to do. But consistently doing what God has asked you to do. And I want to encourage you this morning, the manner of evangelism, with that idea about being consistent about it, being patient with it. Uh, Evangelism is not... uh, you don't become great at evangelism. You really don't hear anybody talk about that. But you can be consistent at it. Be patient at it. And, th- and that's how you become effective. I ask you to open your Bible in Acts 2. I want to point out a couple of things. We're not really going to uh, study in deep ways the text. But I want to point out a couple of things. In Acts chapter 2, notice in verse 42. Some of the characteristics of the early church here, Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And then he goes on in the text and gives some other things that the early church did. But one of the most important things that they did is in the first part of the sentence there in verse 42. The Bible says that they continued steadfastly in. It it is not only what they did, that's important, but it's how they did it. They continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. Those words mean this. It means they persevered. I like this. It means they were consistently diligent. They just weren't at it every now and then. They were consistently diligent. They were faithful. They continued steadfastly. They were a great church. They were a great church. The church at Jerusalem. But one of the ingredients of this great church is that they were consistently patient. They were faithful. They were consistently diligent. In the same passage, just move down a few verses. Look at verse 46. Same church. And they, pay attention, continuing daily. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It tells what they did, but it tells how they did it. No, it doesn't matter what you do if you don't do it consistently. The Bible says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. They were consistently diligent. Verse 46, the Bible says that they continuing daily. They just did the same things over and over and over and over again. Someone said this, that success is found in your daily agenda. And you'll never be successful until you change something in your daily agenda. I believe that. That's true with your spiritual life and your spiritual agendas. Success is found in your daily agenda. You you show me your your daily agenda, what you do spiritually on a consistent basis. And I'll show you where you're going to end up at. How do you persevere? Are you consistent at it? Are you patient with it? Well, I wish I had uh, that person's Bible knowledge. Well, you could. You could. But you're lazy. You don't just read every day. You gotta read every day. Have to open the book every day. Read it every day. 
buy you commentary, read it every day. Oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, yes, you can. Get off your phone, turn the TV off. Yes, you can. Success is found in your daily agenda. You become what you focus on. How many times have you heard me say that from this pulpit? You become what you focus on. I wish I had their prayer life. You could. You could. See, greatness is found on what you persevere. They continue steadfastly. And they continuing daily. They, they just did this stuff. You see, we want, we want the cake, but we don't want the recipe. We don't want the ingredients. And so midlife comes, our older years come, and we look back at our life, or in the middle of our life, and say, we say, well, what happened here with our marriage? Well, your marriage happened because of what was in the daily agenda. What happened with our parenting? What happened with our kids? Well, that's it's what you put in the daily agenda. I'm not trying to scold you. I'm trying to help you. Success is found in your daily agenda. And I can't live your life for you. You can't live your life for me. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he gave him a very insightful truth in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. He said, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And has been assured of the idea of what you have, been, you have convictions about. You've learned some things, and you learned them. Verse 15, you learned them from your, your mother and your grandmother. And verse 16, he says, it was the word of God. But he says here, and here's the word again, the third time we've looked at this morning. He's continue thou in these things. The key growth in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is to daily continue in those things. Listen carefully. In daily application. Just do what God told you to do every day. Open the Bible. Read the Bible. Get your instructions and then apply it. Your life will change. And you will be, I don't like to use this term because you be, it becomes a standard of measurement. It's different for different people. But you will become a great Christian. Now, you've often heard me say this, that I don't know who the best Christian is in this room. But whoever they are, they don't know who they are. And I believe that. But you will become a great Christian. But you will not become a great Christian if you, if you just hit and miss at it. Not just reading, but applying. Continue thou. If you're faithful to church. And, uh, and I know what I give you, not just in the content, but in the application. This is not just a content church. Some churches are content where they'll give you the outline. And they, they go deep and, and you come up dry. But this is a so what church. And a now what church. In fact, on this outline, I have three things. It says what. That's a big idea. That's... that's the, the sermon and the sentence. And then so what? That what's going to happen if you don't do this? And then the now what? What are you going to do about this? This is a so what and a now what kind of church, not just a what. So if you just file away the what's, but you don't do the now what's, you become, you sit sour, you sit soaking sour. 
and there's no application. If you want to become a, a great church, the Bible says you must continue in the things which thou has learned. Now, let me narrow it even further. I've been kind of broad with that principle, and we're going to look back in Acts 2 here. One of those areas of, of daily application and being consistently diligent, being faithful and persevering is in the matter of evangelism. Just being daily about it. That's why we emphasize CPR. You do one of those three things or all three of those things every day. You cultivate every day. Every day you cultivate. Every day you plant. Not with the same person sometimes. Sometimes it is. But every day you plant. And every day you try to reap. And some days you may not have an opportunity. But, you, but every day you're attentive to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit and where God is working. And you do one or all of those things. And I'll tell you something. Listen. If you will do that, and your brothers and sisters beside you and behind you in front of you do that, this will be a great church. And every church that does that will be a great church. But here's what happens. Is we don't do what I just gave. We don't do, we, we do not continue steadfastly. We do not continue daily. We do not continue the things which we learn. We come, we hear the sermon, we say, well, okay, that's a truth. Where do you want to eat today? And then Monday comes with the burdens, and we all have burdens. And then Tuesday comes, and we forget about Sunday. And it's not just, it's not just the impact upon the local church, because that's, that's the secondary thing, really, because the church is about the people. It's what happens to you. It's what happens to your generation. It's what happens to our families as they watch our lack of love for lost people. And, and they watch how we interact with people or we don't interact with them. They watch how critical we are with unbelievers rather than being burdened for them. And they pick up our nuances. And we wonder why the next generation has lost something. Because they're just replicating what, what they've seen and what, what, what we have taught them. Because we pass a baton off to them. Because we, success is found in your daily agenda. Our failure is found in our daily agenda. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 47. It's, it's all over the book of Acts. Acts two forty-seven. The Bible says in the early church daily they were praising God having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. Say that word for me. Say it out loud. Such as should be saved. Now I ask a question. Why did the Lord add to the church daily? Now you know the answer. Because people were giving the gospel out. They were cultivating, they were planting, and they were reaping every day. And that wasn't the same person. Some people that you cultivate with, someone else will plant, someone else may reap. That's not the issue. But they did this every day. Look at Acts chapter 5, just two pages over, at least it is in my Bible. Acts chapter 5, look at verse 42. I think it's the last verse there. Acts five forty-two. 
and daily in the temple and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I've taught you this so often that evangelism is not an event. It's a process. It's a daily process. If it's an event, you'll get discouraged. You may not win someone to Jesus every day. You may not win someone to Jesus every week. That's okay. But you can cultivate every day. You can plant every day. You can try to reap every day. God didn't call. In fact, I, I, I shy away sometimes from the term. I'll talk about this maybe next week. I, I think there's a biblical application to it. But, but the term soul winner, there, there is an application. I'll talk about that next week. But I think a more accurate biblical term is the word witness. God has called me to be a witness. Because if I go a week and I haven't won someone, I haven't been a failure if I've been a witness. And if, if I've been cultivating, if I've been planting, if, if I've been attempting to reap the harvest that I have sown and that other people have sown. Success is found in, in the daily agenda. Evangelism is not an event. It's a process. And that requires patience. That requires consistency. But church, you've got to do this every day. You've got to do it every day. Not just one night a week, not just two hours. Matthew 28, in fact, says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The, the regional language, it's not, you don't have to know the Greek language, but, but it, it, it's technical somewhat. And here's the idea. It means as you're going, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're watching the ball game, as you're whatever you're doing, make disciples. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just in this event. We divided the sacred and the secular when God said everything is sacred. Now, let's, let me talk to you about phase one and, and give you some real simple applications. Number one, phase one of evangelism is helping people come to Christ. Helping people come to Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19, Jesus told his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now watch this. Jesus, listen carefully because if you grew up in church, you're going to think this is heresy, but it's not. You have to listen to the whole sentence. Jesus never called you to be a soul winner. He called you to follow him. If you follow him, you will reach other people for him. That's not a trick statement. I've known people that got excited about the, the visibility of being effective. And maybe they had a personality, kind of like a sales personality. They were effective. They weren't an introvert. They were more expressive. And introverts struggle with what I'm talking about a little bit this morning. And so they see an extrovert that, that's kind of good at it. And they say, well, I can't be like that. Well, God didn't ask you to be like that. He's going to use you the way he made you. And uh, so the person kind of liked the attention. 
But they weren't following Jesus. There was no Bible reading. There was no walk with God. But because they begin to win people and, oh, look at this. Look at what he's doing. And there was no inner life. And then there was the crash. Pastors have done it. God didn't call you to that. He called you to follow him. You see, evangelism is not something that's attached onto your life. It's a part of following Jesus. In fact, this is Matthew four nineteen. the way I didn't put the verse up. But in, in Mark 1, 17, the way he says it, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. It's a little bit different. It's the same idea. I will, I will make you to become. It's not a script you memorize. There's nothing wrong with learning how to present the gospel effectively. I, I've learned different ways and so forth. It's simply telling people who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It's not a program. Well, I'm a Christian, so where's the evangelism program? No, you, you are the program. It's found in your transformed life. I, I uh, won a, uh, my, we were playing soccer. This, this is what I was just telling you a while ago. With uh, one of my friends that I went to junior high and high school with. And uh, would never come to church with me, never. And we had a, a special day, and so I had uh, one of my children. I said, why don't you go ask him if he'll bring his son to church? Because he won't, he won't come for me. We were friends. But on the spiritual plane, he, he just wouldn't come. I said, why don't you try? Let's try that tack. He said, okay, Daddy. He's about eight or nine years old at the time. So I went to him, and he said, uh, so would you come? Would you come to church with us on this day? He said, "Well, what time is it?" And the son came back. And he said, "He asked what time." I said, well, that's good. About two weeks later, I got a call late Saturday night, and he said, "Hey, what time is church?" And I told him, and I said, "Are you coming tomorrow?" He said, "I will be there from now on." And he came and. I trusted Christ that next morning. I remember uh, Wednesday night I prayed with him a few weeks later uh, as he began to come to church and so forth. And uh, just he and I, I'm careful with new converts. You know, I want to teach them, but at the same time, we're kind of used to things. You got to understand they're not used to these things. So I said, uh, let me. Uh, well, you want to pray with me? You don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but I'll pray. He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, here, I can pray and I'll finish. If you want to pray, you can say something. If you don't, you don't have to. I said, here it is. It's just a conversation. You just tell God whatever's on your heart. That's all you do. Okay? If you don't want to, I'll, I'll finish. I'll say amen. I'll wait about 10 seconds, and that'll be all. And if you want to talk, then you can. That's all you have to do. It's okay. So take the pressure off of him. So I finished. Right over here on the front row where I sit. I finished my part and I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I waited for a few seconds. He said, God, I'm not very good at this. I had never done this before. I think out of all the prayers that were prayed that night, God had his ear closest to that one. I had another friend that uh, I went to school with in junior high. I wanted him to cry, play football with him. 
and baptized him. He comes to church here occasionally. And uh, I was talking to him before he got saved on the phone. It's CPR. It's CPR. This is not visitation. This is just you're being friends with people. And uh, he said, hey, he said, what happened to, and he mentioned this other friend's name that had gotten saved in our church that I baptized. And I said, why? He said, well, I called him the other day, and he's different. I said, well, how is he different? He said, he doesn't cuss anymore. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, every time I called him, he would cuss. And he said, but I called him. He said, he didn't cuss a single time. He said, he's different. God can use you. Evangelism is following Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not a script. You don't have to have a salesman personality. I don't. I sure don't. I can't sell anything, but I can love people. I can talk to people. I can tell them about my friend. I can tell them my story. How do, you, how do you help people? Phase one is helping people come to Jesus. How do you do this? Let me give you four ways quickly. Helping people come to Jesus. Number one, you help people come to Jesus when you serve them. When you serve them. Some people have called this pre-evangelism. I think that's a good, a good term. You see, they, people don't get saved when you serve them, but it's a good way of, of pre-evangelism. Some of what Daniel's doing is with this. I'll tell you this, I'm not against what we're doing, or I would, I would tell him no. But the most effective evangelism, this is safe. Okay, this is safe what he's doing. But when you think about it, it's not, it's not easier. But for some of you, because you've had so many conflicts with people, you don't want to do that because you need to make some apologies to people. You've done people wrong. You've lost your temper. The greatest, the greatest apologetic in evangelism, the greatest tool is you. It's a broken, humble, sincere man, woman. But the greatest ministry, I'm going to give you a text here in a minute. The greatest service is not just going out to someone you don't know. We'll do some of that. I'm not against it. But it's not the most effective. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, I didn't put this text in there, I just thought of it. Jesus told his disciples, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Because this is about me. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And he lays out the strategy there. Jerusalem was the city they were in. Judea was like the county they were in. Samaria was cross-cultural evangelism. Uttermost parts of the earth was, you know, the other part of the continent, if you will. You shall be witness unto me in Jerusalem. Start where you are. Start in your home. Start with the people you work with. So when I'm talking about serving, you want to do this. I'm not, I'm not against this. I'm for it. But I'm more for serving the guy that works beside you. Serving your husband. Serving your neighbors. The, the person you sit beside the backstop with. How many times have I said that here? When you get up go to the concession stand, buy them a Coke. 
Buy them some popcorn. Cost a buck fifty, maybe two bucks. I don't know to buy them some to serve them. Show them what a Christian looks like. Help the coach put the equipment up in the in, in the dugout. Stay after the soccer game. Serve people, the people that know you the best. And for some reason, we're we're threatened more by them. This is the most effective pre-evangelism. One lady came to the pastor after the church and service, and she said, I want you. And, and he knew her, and she was a scoundrel. And she was angry with her husband. And she's going around to everybody trying to get him to pray for her husband. And the problem was her. She was angry. So she came to the pastor, and she said, I want you to pray for my, pray for my husband. He said, well, I will, but I know what the problem is. She said, what? He said, dry eyes. Dry eyes. And he looked at her. And the Holy Spirit of God, like a knife, went into her heart and realized, the problem is me, it's my lack of compassion. The problem's not him. The problem's not my, it's not my co-worker that uses God's name in vain. The problem's me. It's a whole lot easier to, to serve a waiter this afternoon that I don't know and give them a tract than to serve a pagan, someone that's hard to love that I see on a regular basis. But that's what God has called us to do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men because it's dark. Lost people are blind. 2 Corinthians 4, they can't see Christ. They can't even understand the gospel. And the Bible doesn't say, make your light shine. You already have the light of Christ. That's Jesus. Just let Him shine. Just let Jesus be Jesus to other people. Let your light so shine before men that they may see. And how are they going to see Him? Through your good works. Good works. Not just any ordinary work, but when the work is done and you walk away, they say, man, that was good. That was nice. That was a good tip. I've made the habit through the years. We've had kids in our church that were struggling spiritually or physically or emotionally to go to their table and leave them a good sized tip. Because I know there's going to come a time when they're going to need my help. And they're not going to call me because, well, I know who's wise. I'm going to call the pastor. No, they're going to say, uh, he, he loved me. He loved me. And some of, some of these kids, I, they haven't been to church in years here. They haven't been to church in decades. But that, that's Okay. Because the Bible didn't tell me that. It's just let my light shine. That they may see my good works before men. And then the Bible says that they will glorify my Father which is in heaven. The word glorify means to give a high opinion of someone. It means it gives them a high opinion of God. You know, a lot of people don't have a high opinion of God. They've seen... God in church business meetings. They've seen God in, in youth pastors and pastors and staff members that mistreated them. 
ugly churches, bad church experiences. They don't have a high opinion of God. But you can restore that through pre-evangelism. Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll talk to them about Christ and, and they'll say, no, I, I don't want to hear about that. And I'll apologize. I say, I am so sorry. I'm sorry. I did this yesterday. I did this a little over 24 hours ago. Not even 24 hours ago. I'm so sorry. I, I know you've been hurt. I know that someone let you down. Someone disappointed you. And I'm really sorry about that. Now, now let, me, let me give you the gospel. No, that's not the time to do that. See, this is not a manipulation. I really am sorry about it. That's the cultivating. Maybe somebody else can come replant behind me. Once they say, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. It's the right thing to do. Serve them. The messenger validates the message. In a sense, the messenger becomes the message. In that sense, we are not the gospel, but we reveal the validity of the gospel. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Because we would boast about it. But we are His workmanship. He's working in us. And we're created in Christ Jesus. He did the work in us unto, not by. We're not created in Christ by good works. What's this? But unto good works. Which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. God didn't save me by good works, but He saved me unto good works so that I will walk in them. God saved me to serve, not just to go to heaven. God didn't save me just so I could walk the golden streets. That'll be a wonderful time. But God gave me the breath of life. I went to the heart doctor on Monday. I've been going a little bit nervous about it. I sure do love onion rings. And uh, they did all that stuff. I'd had those echocardiograms before. And he comes in and he's a talker. He's looking at that. I can't understand half of what he's saying. And I got bad hearing. And he said, well, that's not too shabby. I thought, well, that's good. That's a good statement right there. That's not too shabby. And then he turned around. He shook my hand. He said, well, good job. He said, I'll see you in several years. He said, uh, to be your age. He said, your birthday's tomorrow. And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you got the heart of a 40-year-old. Good job. I said, I want to kiss you, but I can't. And I had him on the back. Got in a parking lot, and I called Paula. I said, let's go to lunch. I want to go to Big Spring Cafe number two. <laughs> I didn't. God didn't save me just so I could go to heaven. God saved me so I could serve people. God gave us the Bible, not just so we could know the Bible, so we could live the Bible, and so we could help people. Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And the Bible is profitable. It's good for us. It helps us. It's profitable for doctrine, something to teach us. 
proper proof. It speaks to me when I'm wrong. It corrects me, shows me how to get this right. It instructs me in righteousness. That, it's Greek word hina, H-I-N-I. It has the idea of in order that, in order that. God gave me the Bible, these four things, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. In order that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. That means fully equipped. Unto, watch this, watch this. Unto all good works. That's pretty plain. God didn't give you the Bible so you could be a walking encyclopedia of Bible facts so you could debate, debate with people. I have friends that do that on Facebook. Well, the unbelievers love that, don't they? They just love to get on there and see the Christians fight. No. And by the way, I can do that, and I'm not proud of it, because I, I, I have that bent in me, and I know I do. No, he gave me the Bible to correct me, to equip me, so that I would do good things for other people, good works. And when I do those good works, it glorifies God on behalf of lost people, and it gives them a high opinion of God the Father. This is pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. What are, listen, what are you doing on a daily basis what good works are you doing every day to make it easy for other people to believe in God? What are you doing every day? Every day, what kind of ministry, what kind of service do you do every day to make it easy for your kids to believe? Number two, by giving our resources, not just by serving, giving our resources, tithing, financial giving. Faith promise giving, supporting missionaries. I read this week that the latest statistics, that people that make over $75,000 a year, only 1% of that group gives 10% of their income to the Lord. One out of 100 will tithe. The average gift of an adult that attends a Protestant church the average gift is $17 a week. $17 a week. Now, we can't, we can't reach people like that. You have to have the power on. You have to be able to do ministry. And it's not so you can pay your staff, though you do pay your staff. We're grateful for that. But God put us here so that we can equip others through the ministry. So Brother Tim can lead ministries and help you do Good News Club. While you're at work, he can get these resources together and he can organize and delegate. That's, that's why God put him here. So Daniel can put these activities together. That's why God, God put us here, not just for administrative and organizational purposes, but also to help us to disciple and mentor and, and encourage along the way. To help us to, to buy resources and so forth. One day when you get to heaven, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you gave. By serving, by giving your resources, number three, you help people get to Jesus by pray, praying for them. By praying for them. Lost people are blind. I told you that Second 2 Corinthians 4. You need to pray for them. Every Christian ought to have a, I call it a top ten list. 
and you can call it top three, don't be a legalist about it, but have a list where you pray every day. Mine is in my chair where I sit. have a list of, of friends that I pray for. Lost people. Romans 10.1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Who's on your list? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for my mom is that she might be saved. For my daddy, my best friend, put their name in there. You need to do that every day. Pray for them every day. Pray for them every day. I uh, knew a lady whose, whose son got away from God and she prayed for him. She prayed for him. She would read the Bible and she would find a promise of prayer. She'd write his name in the Bible. I've seen the Bible. And she'd write his name in the margin, write his first name. She got cancer and she died and he was still in the world away from God. Several years after, after she passed away, the Bible says our prayers are, are like perfume that ascend up to heaven to God. I believe some of those perfume some prayers that go on, that I will pray for my grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, will, will go on to God, even for my great-grandchildren, uh, for, for years ahead. And those prayers of that saintly mother went on for her son. And her son came back to God and is living for God today. Because she prayed for her son. Who are you praying for? Pray, pray for me. Pray that I would be anointed for, for preaching the word of God. In some ways, a lot of it's the preacher's fault. But sometimes the churches get the preacher they deserve. An anointing is a special touch for a special task. How many times did Paul tell people, hey, pray for me. Pray for me. Watch this, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, following, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, praying always, every day, he said. And pray for me, Paul said. Why? That utterance may be given unto me. Now, this is Paul. He's in prison. He said, pray for me so I'll, I'll speak well. And when I do speak, that I may open my mouth boldly so people understand and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, watch this, as I ought to speak. You can have a part in seeing people saved when you pray for lost people and you pray for the preachers that preach to them. Pray. Pray every day. Man, if you don't like our preaching, pray for us. I'm serious. Pray for us. And pray for, pray for your unbelieving friends every day, your loved ones. Serve every day. Give consistently. Give consistently. Give generously, consistently, regularly. Pray every day. And number four, and finally, and I'll just mention this, sow the seed of the gospel every day. Every day. Sow it every day. It's not the cleverness of the personality. It's the power of the Word of God that gets people saved. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. 
empty. But it shall accomplish that which I please. Watch this. In it, the word of God shall prosper. The Bible shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Sow the gospel every day. Sow it every day. Give the gospel every day. John 6.63, Jesus said, The Spirit quickens. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they're in the Bible. He said, They are spirit and they are life. The word is life. You get the Bible into them. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth, which liveth, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, for it, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, is the power of God. It's the life unto them that believeth. Every, every day, every day, sow the seed of the gospel. I wrote down here, number one, learn what the gospel is. Learn how to present it. Learn what the gospel is. Understand the message of grace. Most people, it's alien to them. Even people that have been in church. You need to learn how to give the gospel. You need to learn how to give your testimony. You need to learn how to tell your story. You need to learn to distribute tracts. We've got several. Bruce's tract, we use this. Uh, we've got our address on the back. We have Bruce's address. People will read this because of the pictures on the front. And it's got a great message on the inside. Give the gospel. Give music CDs as gifts. And if people, you know, if you're not one that does that, uh, this week uh, I gave two, two music CDs away. Two music CDs. Uh, I'm talking about Christian music. Good Christian music. Give it to people. People, a lot of times, won't listen to sermon. They'll listen to music. And they'll listen to over. And it gets the Word of God into them. And if they don't do that, send them something. Give sermon CDs that meet a need. Last week, I preached on Mother's Day every day. Hopefully, it was an encouraging message. I think there's some back there. They're free. If you know somebody that needs it, say, hey, this will encourage you. You're worn out or you've been mistreating your mom. You need to listen to this. This will help you. It's got the Word of God in it. At the end, it's got the gospel. Give it to people. Give Tim stuff. Give Daniel. Find things that will help people. Give them the gospel. Give books that have the Word of God to people. I gave some books away this week. Christian books. Sow the seed of the gospel in other people. Put scripture and gospel posts in your media, on Twitter, or whatever you use. I don't even know what all people use anymore. Facebook. Put the gospel up there. Now, let me, let me put a caveat in there. Don't do that if everything else is a mess. If you've got cuss words, ever, don't, don't do that. Because you've tainted it. Just, just leave it alone. The gospel's pure. But if, you, if you've got a decent Facebook alley up there, put the name of Jesus up there. 
Put some music up there. I like to do that. Invite your friends to special events at church. I call them bridge events. That's part of witnessing to people. Sow the seed of the gospel. Evangelism is a process, not an event. It requires patience. Every day. Every day. What are you doing to help people come to Jesus? Would you do it every day? Would you, would you do good works every day? Every day. You, it, it doesn't need to be a lot of money. It doesn't even need to involve money. But just to, to do something every day. People watch you. you know, people know me, not because I'm famous, but I stand up here. You go to a restaurant, you hold the door for somebody. And you're doing it just because you ought to do it. But I teach people watch you. They watch you when you don't do it. Just do good work for people. Give faithfully. Give generously. Pray every day. My heart's desire and prayer to God for, for whoever is that they might be saved. Pray for your leaders. Pray for us every day. It's harder than it's ever been to be in the ministry. I'm going to tell you. Now, I'm not whining. I'm just telling you the truth. It's harder to be a Christian. There's a lot of joy. But we need to pray for one another. And then so to see the gospel every day. They continuing daily. Every day. I want you to bow your heads with me, okay? Phase one. Helping people to Jesus.